I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to What Like the Cobblers, Northampton Town fanzine reborn in podcast form. I'm Tom Reed and joined by a skillful winger. Grew up at West Ham United, bursting onto the scene at Upton Park before falling out of favour and moving to Norwich City. He came to Cobblers on loan after battling back from a bad injury, catching the eye with his performance and helping the club to achieve the playoffs. It's Matthew Rush. I think we should start with your, you know, your formative years and sort of understand you how you got into football and stuff. Whereabouts are you from in London? It said uh, the research I did, you were from Hackney, is that right? So I was born in Hackney, but I was only there for about six months of my life. And then I moved to um, South East London, uh, Bermondsey Way. Oh, OK. That makes sense. So then I spoke, spent most of my childhood around the Bermondsey, uh, Surrey Keys area, which, by the way, was actually called Surrey Docks when I was there, but they gentrified it and called it Surrey Keys. All oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, I get you. And then how did you how did you sort of get, get the attention of West Ham then and, and, and get involved with them? It's just the um, the scout system that every London or every club has. They send people that spend send people around all the the, the junior leagues or the upper junior leagues, I should say, and uh, from Grapevine and all the rest of it. They hear about various players, and I actually had the option of joining every youth uh, team in in London. Right. But the uh, it was uh, I met all the the scouts and the coaches and looked in a little bit into their reputations and what have you. And at the time, West Ham was known as as being the academy uh, and bringing players through and the co- the coaches there and what have you. And the scouts were really nice to me, so I chose to go with West Ham over all the others. Sure, yeah, that's that, that seems a sensible choice in terms of West Ham's pedigree bringing young players through I was, I was reading that and this might be a misconception that you weren't that football wasn't maybe your your greatest interest in life and that it wasn't really a career plan for you and you were more into like aviation and flying and stuff like that as a child is that right no my ambitions were um aviation but i was a, a, a what you would regard as a, a swat i imagine at school going to various um science uh, forums outside of school and and kind of going initially going down the academic route and I was kind of good at any sport I kind of I've turned my hand to. I've been a natural sports person, and I imagine the per, the the route with the mo, the the best pathway was football. So I kind of trundled along that, not intentionally, but just because I was good, uh, it kind of carried me along, um, and and then ultimately away from academia and into the sporting arena. What was it like? 
playing as a young lad for West Ham with this, you know, rich history of um, bringing homegrown players through. Was it? Did you feel that sort of gravitas in in that area, or um, not as such? Because I, I wasn't. My, my household wasn't one of sport or football. Um, there was there was. Right. I was raised by my mother, who had zero interest and zero ability in sport. My involvement at West Ham, for the most part from being a junior through to a senior was was pretty much 100% positive in, in that it, as, as the reputation that it has, it kind of brought you along in a, in a family environment. You felt secure and like people had your back. And yeah, I think the, the environment you have now in clubs is quite different. The players are strict commodities, whereas back then you weren't a number as such as a part of a family. Sure. Do you remember any of the players that were coming through at the same time as you that went on to make their debut like you did? There weren't that many, unfortunately. The, I remember the year above me, I'm not sure if anybody made a first-team appearance. I think maybe two years above me, Simon Livett played a couple of matches, but there weren't a great deal. And I think the year below me, there weren't any. And then there was myself... And Steve Banks, who I'm not sure he played for West Ham, but he certainly went on to play um, first-team football elsewhere. So, yeah, in terms of numbers, not a lot. I was looking at the the West Ham, you know, team and squad in the time that you made your debut and years after that. And uh, it just seemed a bit of a time when maybe a bit more of a... Sort of impetus towards more experience than youth and that might maybe explain why there weren't that many people that came through but you did and you made your debut v Hull City as a, a substitute I think but a very uh, momentous game I think uh, West Ham beats uh, Hull 7-1 is that right? That's probably why they brought me on because they were comfortably ahead <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah the that game the one thing that does stand out was that I, I think I almost concussed somebody and um, immediately endeared myself to the chicken run which was always a, which was a good thing. Yeah, uh, there was uh, uh, West Ham fans are very partisan, but they can also be sometimes a bit um, uncompromising, and you need to, I guess, you know, make an impact quite quickly. Um, you definitely so, want them on board. Yeah, yeah, of course. Did were you? Did you play in the same team as Trevor Morley because he was a Northampton yeah. legend? Really, he came from Northampton late eighties. Yeah, to West Trevor Ham. Morley, and, Ian Bishop, that crowd. Yeah. What was what was Trevor like to play with? Trevor was a uh, was, was if I remember rightly, he was a northern lad. I think he certainly appeared to be a northerner because he had long dark hair and a mustache. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, he, he was he was a very physical play, trained hard, played hard, um, quite an honest bloke. Um, not too many airs and graces, which I mean at that time in football there weren't that many prima donnas. Obviously, you had your stars and what have you. But no, Trevor, he had a, a certain a degree of success at the club. And yeah, he was a likeable guy. His best mate was Ian Bishop. I don't know if they had a, if they had a partnership or a friendship before they were at West Ham. But those two are as thick as thieves. Yeah. It seems that... You, what year was your debut in when you played Hull? Do you remember? Because you, you sort of came onto the scene around 1991, didn't you? So do you remember uh, what year debut? You probably you probably know better than I do. You have to have to remember it was over two decades ago. So it must have been around the time of 
Italy uh, in World Cup. You made, in 1990 and for West Ham, you, you made five appearances as a sort of a young guy. Uh, yeah, that's when that West Ham finished right. second. Yeah, so you finished, West Ham finished second and got promoted. So do you, have you got recollections of that time when they got promoted? Not really, no. I'm sorry. <laughs> like I said, no, no, over two right. decades ago. Everything blurs into one big game. Yeah, I bet it does. And then, uh, so sort of season by season, you're making sort of a few more appearances. The next season, 1991, 92, you made... 10 appearances and you scored two goals in one game v Norwich. I think they were both headers as far as I remember. Yeah, headers. Yeah, or, I remember um, that, uh, headers. Yeah, I remember that um, because one of my good friends, uh, Lee Power, was marking me for both of those. Um, and uh, we, had a, we had a good giggle about it afterwards. So yeah, I remember that. That was against Norwich, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think Ian Bishop might have taken the corner, but I, I've seen that. I looked at YouTube at the goals and you were just it was good anticipation and you actually made a run into the box on both of them and just a lot of power and scored both of them. That was two, two solid goals. Yeah, my, my friends remind me at the time that it was a, it was not, not normal for me to be running into the box. They always joke that I get a, a nosebleed every time I got close to the penalty box and I kind of, kind of stayed out of the box most of my career, I was pretty much right out on the wing. Um, so that, that occasion when I went into the box, it was uh, <laughs> fortuitous. Yeah, unfortunately... West Ham actually got relegated that season, despite you know a bit, a bit of an up and down period. Do you remember what what sort of made that turn into a relegation season that ninety ninety one ninety two? Um, I think the, the the general atmosphere wasn't that toxic or, or negative in in that I don't know most I imagine most young football players and and people in, involved in football have this godlike they walk around this godlike complex and just assumed that once they'd gone down, it was a temporary blip and would would race back up again. So, And I think maybe because the the amount of money that was flying around wasn't anything comparable to today's money. If you drop down, yes, there was a difference. There's, a, there's always been a disparity, but not the vast differences there are now. Um, meant there wasn't so much doom and gloom. It was just like, right, this has happened. Um, pull your socks up and we'll get back up next year. Yeah, the next year... 92, 93, you sort of struggled for first-team appearances. You made a, a few in the uh, Anglo-Italian Cup, the Cosenza and Pisa. Do you see that the rele- previous relegation made it more difficult for you to, to get a place because maybe Billy Bonds was wanting to go with experience to try and get back up at the, the first opportunity? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think it's only natural, isn't it, that you're going to have, if, when you're kind of trying to get back up, um, gain that um, promotion you're going to be trying less things rely on the old favorites and be a little less risky so um, Mm. that that may have played a part in it Um, but uh, needless to say my relationship with Billy Bonds was was fantastic because his first managerial position was as a a youth uh, reserve team manager when I was in made the reserves and we trained together um, he and I used to do fitness work after training together um, and then I signed a senior contract with him as well. So, no, um, my relationship with Bill was, was, from what I can gather, was very good. Um, but whether or not that he wanted to take the risk with the young player or is, is another matter when you've got the, the fortunes of an entire club on your shoulders. 
Yeah, that, that's understandable. I guess uh, as a young player, you're you're itching to play, and it, it must be frustrating not getting that running the running the team that you need to bring your game on. But I guess I guess that's football. And then you got loaned out uh, March '92 to Cambridge. Were you were you up for that move, or was that one you were a bit sort of reluctant? Oh no, so I'd um, had a, a a little injury prior to going to Cambridge and I just saw that and it was certainly sold to me as um, you're going here to get your fit rather than playing in the reserves you're on the cusp of breaking into the first team and it would be better for you you uh, developmentally if you played first team football and that's how it was sold to me that's how I accepted it and uh, uh, yeah there was no bad blood whatsoever. And how did it how did it go at Cambridge I'm I'm not sort of uh, I'm read up on that period. Um, it was it was brief but fine. I like I said, played some first team football, which was an ex- um, a better experience than playing reserve team football. Unfortunately, the injury that I had, I think it was um, my foot or something, prevented me from running. So I'd, I'd hit the gym a bit hard, so I had to become, become a little bit top heavy. But fortunately, by, by playing and getting back to training again, that kind of all fell off again. There was a, a further loan, wasn't there, to Swansea, which was pretty successful. Where uh, the Swans. Talk, talk uh, well of you in the period there, and you you helped the club get to the uh, football league trophy final. It must have been a, a sort of a, obviously you want to play at West Ham, but a reasonable loan period. Yeah, no, Swansea was a was a, a very good experience all round. The um, I think my game came on. I played regular first team football. The manager was, albeit a bit crazy, but but a uh, good manager. Yeah, they good. They're, there was always a relationship um, with. Uh, the managers of West Ham and Swansea, um, I think that kind of greased my way into, Swan- into Swansea, albeit in another country and miles away from West Ham. Mm. Um, and you said about the, was it the Autoglass final they got to? Yeah. Uh, the, uh, I believe that they were the first Welsh team to get to that final or something. And I went to what, because I got pulled back to West Ham short um, just before I think the semi-final I think it was, but I'd, I'd played five, four or five cup games leading up to it, and a lot of the the, the supporters of the vets thought I was instrumental or certainly made some impact on getting them there. So when I was went to watch the game at Wembley, I actually received a standing ovation in the stands, which was quite emotive. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. Yeah. Was it strange though? Then you know it's a bit stop-start at this period, and you go to Swansea, and then West Ham recall you, and then you're back in the, the first team, aren't you? For the last few games of the season, you scored that wonder goal via Ipswich end of that season. Yeah, like I said, um, it was great. The, 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 the playing first team football um, at Swansea continued to bring my game, my game on as it should do. As on the back of that, I signed a new contract with West Ham and played some more first team football at West Ham. So. Um, yeah, it was an incredible experience uh, in terms of playing, at, play, constantly playing, personal development and my mm. game development. Do you remember the the, the goal v Ipswich? Because I, I had a little look on YouTube. There's a compilation of your goals for West Ham. You, you didn't score like like hundreds, but the one v Ipswich was a bit of a collector's item because uh, the, the header came out. And you just shape yourself up really nicely and hit it on volley from probably like 25 yards into the top corner. Do you remember that one? Good goal. Yeah, one of the rare occasions that I shot, and the <laughs> compla- which is why the compilation is a very short one. Uh, <laughs> but 
but no, over the years, believe it or not, people still throw that that gold in my face, or at least show show it to me. And said, yeah, I've seen it, and thanks. And they all, everyone compliments me on on the shot. Uh, no, it was, it was um, like I said, the reactionary shot. It, it, it's one of those things where you don't actually think about it. It's just it's, it's all quite automatic um, and paid off. I think yeah. I did believe it was. Uh, it was actually put on the um, for that year the top hundred best goals compilation, something or other. Somebody told me, but I've never actually seen yeah, it. Yeah, I wouldn't surprise me. Is it is it's a really good goal? It's worth for anyone listening having a little look at it on YouTube. Um, you signed a three-year deal, which is you know not not um, substantial at that point with West Ham in summer of '94. And you obviously were happy at West Ham and you wanted to stay at West Ham, but was it was it a no-brainer to sign or were you you know a bit concerned about breaking the team and staying in the team? Oh no, I had no concern whatsoever. The um, I signed three and I would have signed five. At that stage, I probably would have signed ten because, like I said, that the that that period within football, that um, family uh, environment was very nurturing and made it made the players feel incredibly secure. So at that at the time of signing, I was I was West Ham through and through, and had no intention of going anywhere else. Because mm, Newcastle showed a little bit of interest. You had a conversation, did you not, with Kevin Keegan, or they they showed some interest? Yeah, Keegan and his number two flew down to London to sign me, or see, at least have a discussion around signing me. And I listened to what they said and what they were offering. And at the time, I was relatively good, relatively good friends with Andy Cole and asked him what his experience was like up there. And he, uh, he had a few misgivings about not so much him being there, but certainly his family. It's soured the potential experience for me going up there. And uh, I was still relatively young and I, I was naive, really. And I was a Londoner through and through and incredibly happy at, at West Ham. How didn't you experience some, you know, racial uh, undertones at Newcastle yourself when you were playing or something? I, I read. Yeah, I had um, projectiles thrown at me and and uh, comments sh- uh, shouted in my direction, uh, which which is more of a damning indictment on the individual. So it didn't really yeah. bother me that it didn't bother me that much. It's their problem, not my problem. Sure was. Was was racism something that you came across much in in your career, or was it just something that you, you know, the way you trained it, it was just a problem with some individuals or whatever? Yeah, I th- it was it was a minority, um, and I didn't get a great deal of it. Obviously, had some uh, experience of it, like you just mentioned at Newcastle. The mm. um, the one of the things that really uh, stood stands out for me was when I was I was watching a game at West Ham, and. Uh, mm. George Paris was playing, and George used to get a lot, a lot of stick, um, mm-hmm. for, for, even from the home crowd, which which he shrugged off and got on with the, he was just got on with his job. And uh, there was one instance when somebody threw a banana at him when I think he was taking a throw in, and uh, George turned round, perfect, because he's a super nice guy, um, picked the banana up, had a bite, said thank you to the guy, and um, and carried on playing, and. And believe it or not, that was the last time he was taunted by the home crowd about his colour. So really? you, that, that one act won the entire crowd over. Um, mm. So that, that's the one, one, one thing that stands out in my mind, which I observed. 
on a football field and certainly at my at my home ground. I I guess you know hopefully things have hopefully found <laughs> a corner for the, for the in that and that's you know quite pressing at the moment. I uh, we'll, might move on to that later, but. In terms of your your West Ham career, West Ham, West Ham were known as the, the club that don't sack, sack managers. So yeah. you had bonds for quite a, a long period at West Ham, and obviously West Ham liked continuity, didn't they? And then there was a period when Harry Redknapp came in. I reading, I'm not a West Ham fan, but reading stuff about it that they sort of went for Harry Redknapp because he was maybe going to Bournemouth or something, and so they they. That they brought Harry Redknapp in. Do you remember that that, that sort of appointment of Redknapp? Yeah, of course I do. The um, uh, wasn't there Lou Macari somewhere in between there as well? Possibly, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the but ha- um, uh, Billy Bonds brought uh, Harry Redknapp into West Ham as his number two, and they were they were very very close friends. So much so that one of them, were, I think Harry was Billy's best man, or vice versa, something like that. Anyway, um, so they were very good friends, and then. Then Harry convinced the board uh, to maybe put him in charge and not Bill. Why there was a uh, quite a bit of bad blood with with Bill and and the board, and that's and Billy left the club, even though that he, the man's blood was claret and blue. Um, he was a West Ham legend, but he was uh, he was not impressed by the way that he was dealt with, and and as a result of that, he left the club which would have been incredibly hard for him because he was as honest as a day's long bit. He, he had no airs and graces. He didn't, you know, there's no pomp and ceremony. Black is black and white is white kind of thing. Um, mm. and, and you've got this West Ham legend who bleeds clown and blue for the club, leaving because of the way he was dealt with. Um, and I'm not entirely sure that the relationship with, uh, with Harry survived either. How does it feel psychologically when you've been brought up in this family environment and then, you know, one of the main members of the, the family leaves. Is it, how does it, yeah, how does it affect you as a person? Um, so I, I, I've always brought Harry's um, integrity into question because of the way that I've seen, I've seen his man management. Um, and I think it had a ne- negative impact on, on my, I don't know, certainly my, my sense of security within the club and and just to kind of confirm that when Harry took over, I actually went home and told my partner that my I think my days might be numbered at West Ham because uh because of the new managerial position that Harry Harry had taken over. I guess a manager always has new ideas and new contacts and people he wants to bring in and, and stuff like that and. When you look back at your time at West Ham, do you, you're obviously a, a clearly a talented player at that point. And I've watched some videos of you at that time and a powerful player and you didn't have much fear and um, you, know, you could carry the ball really well. How does a player of that talent not establish themselves as a, a West Ham player for, you know, for the long term, medium term, do, do you think it? Do you look introspectively and say, "Could I have done something more?" Or do you think actually there are more factors at play that stood in my way a bit? I mean, one of the things that stands in your way are other players, obviously, because they're yeah. ones everyone, if, at that level. Everyone's exceptional, um, so that 
the one thing that stands in your way, obviously, are other players and the person, obviously, the person in your specific uh, specific position. I mean, I have no grievance with anybody. However, I do think that I potentially could have had a longer and better spell at West Ham. I've spoken to a few a few players and football is just not not always a, an upward it's not always an upward curve and, <laughs> you know there, there's always there's always there's always certain things I've said I've spoken to a couple of players and you know you can probably comment on this yourself in terms of the the, the, the clubs you played for that you know if you, if the if the if you get a, a manager that, that believes in you and gives you the running the team you can be up, up at one level and if the role the the dice rolls a different way you can suddenly drop down a couple of divisions and I guess that's not only what what happened but for the, the you know the first the move you made you went to Norwich City uh, in August '95 did, did you actually want to leave West Ham or was that a move that was you know you just have to go with no it's um Obviously, so it's, it's allegedly down to the player whether or not they want to move or not. But but when you read between the lines of conversations you have with the with the managerial um, staff, you know if you're going to be playing or not. So it was it was it was said directly to me, but I was I was certainly left with the idea that by no um, stretch of the imagination was I going to be featured in the in the permanent um, posi- uh, like playing position, um, and. Uh, like I said to you before, when because of Harry's uh, ma- management uh, style and, and how he dealt with me, and, that, and how and I didn't feel by staying at the club anymore once Bill had left and he'd taken over, that I had a career, a future there. So mm. um, when Norwich came up and and Harry was saying or putting the uh, opportunity across in a, in a, in, a, in a manner that. It's probably best if you leave Rashi without actually saying it. I just took it and left. But it's nothing. That must have been a difficult move. Difficult move since you'd been with the club from from such a young age. You you joined Norwich, who they're all right, a a big club, especially in in that locality. Joined Norwich, and I just looking at the period you joined them. I think you just happened to unfortunately join at a real period of upheaval. Did Martin O'Neill sign you, and then he he left quite quickly. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I spoke with Martin O'Neill, and he's a good Irishman, and obviously I'm half Irish, or at least my mother's Irish, and I really liked him. He his um, personality wasn't that dissimilar to to Billy's, if if not just a bit more direct and abrupt. So I I really enjoyed that, especially after dealing with Harry, someone who was going to be direct with me <laughs> appealed rather than someone who's going to go behind your back. So, uh, so yeah. So when I went, when I met Martin, he, I, I liked him very much. The club was uh, well established, and and they were looking to get because they'd just gone down to the championship, and they they were looking to gain promotion again as quickly as possible. And I was kind of painted as one of the uh, purchases that they were going to be using to to get them back up into the prem, Premiership. So it was sold very well to me, even though I say I didn't want to go. It, I think the truth is I didn't want to leave West Ham, but I had to because there was no, like I said, there was no future there. And here was an opportunity where it was a forward-thinking club with a with a manager whose personality that I, that I kind of clicked with. And so I, I went there initially, begrudgingly but positively. Did your family join you in Norwich, or did they stay in London? No, they stayed in London. So I had a, a, a young baby, but they, my wife didn't want to move to Norwich because it, it was in the middle of nowhere 
Um, so they stayed in London and I bought a house in, in Norwich city centre and lived between the two. So that must have been quite difficult on a personal level and, you know, and a football one, I guess, if you're moving between two places, sort of hard to settle down, I guess. Yeah, it, it wasn't ideal. I mean, you could argue that without the distractions of family and everything around me, I could have just um, knuckled down and, and focused on my football when I was in Norwich and then did the family thing when I was in London. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it wasn't ideal at all, um, especially having a, a young baby that you want to spend time with and see them grow and develop. So from a personal perspective, it could have been better. And then there was a very serious injury. It was, did you have the injury on your debut of all, of all games against Sunderland? Crucial ligament injury? So I played, my, I played my debut, which was on, I think it was train Friday, play Saturday, Sunday off, train Monday, snap knee. Wow. <laughs> and uh, and a serious one as well, a serious injury. And, uh, you know... Uh, I'd, I'd I've read elsewhere that you uh, you were a good trainer and a fit guy and how is it when you do a cruciate and you've you've always sort of considered yourself to be sort of made of iron to an extent how does how does that feel sort of personally to have such a bad one at the time when I was 24 I think when I had my first cruciate ligament snap again I was filled with my my godlike complex and I just thought right I'm gonna have the surgery train rehab recover and get back to playing the game it's a bit a bit ignorant on my behalf I think that was because uh, it's not just the cruciate ligament that's that's ruptured the, all the other structures around the knee are compromised as well so, and, and that kind of was the beginning of the end as it were I dragged it out for a couple of years but it was definitely the beginning of the end I've spoken to a couple of guys that have had maybe not the exact same injury but um, there's a guy called Roy Hunter actually you played with briefly I think at Northampton he did his meniscus cruciate ACL, whatever it's called. And yeah. like you said, it's not just the actual ligament itself. It's how the other muscles and everything else relate to that part of the body. And you can have issues going on for years afterwards that maybe you wouldn't expect to be at that actually that linked. Yeah. I don't know if that happened to you as well. Yeah. I, so after I had my first ACL um, rupture, then, like I said, I was trying to come back and uh, play again. I had subsequently another nine surgeries. Um, I had my medial, medial meniscus removed, my lateral and medial ligaments shaved, six arthroscopies shave, shaved, and um, another cruciate snap, which finally ended my career. Well, and it's so this period, Martin um, O'Neill leaves. Norwich and you obviously come on the radar of the Northampton manager Ian Atkins how did you how did you come back to fitness to get to, not to get earn that move to Northampton because it's a step down but how did you get yourself back up to fitness so that you could actually play again just hard work I guess rehab rehab and more rehab I train like a maniac um, I'm like 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 you, you suggested earlier I You've heard that I was a good trainer. I was incredibly, mm-hmm. an incredibly fit guy, and training. I just enjoyed training. I enjoyed getting stronger and faster, and and I just saw it as attributing to my game and making me a better player. So, mm-hmm. and like I said earlier, with, with Billy Bonds, after football training, Bill and I would then go off and do more physical training. So the training aspect of it was not a problem. 
the, the after the surgery the the surgeon and, and all the people around you the physiotherapist said if you do this you do this rehab then you'll get back and that's what and in your mind you're thinking right I'm just going to get this done as 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 well as I can possibly uh, do it and, and get back to playing again and that's what I did and I, I said I, I just cracked it there's lots of pool rehab and and the pool was, was my second home and um starting out learning how to walk again learning how to run again weights and I, yeah yeah it goes up just went on and on so I, I pummeled that like a, a maniac because all I wanted to do was get and I, I was felt quite put out in that I've just joined this club uh, there was this emphasis on returning to the Premier League again and I was supposed to be there spearheading it and, and I'd actually turned out to probably be the one of the best, worst buys in the in the entire football league playing one game and then being sidelined through injury for the rest of the season so mm. that 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 didn't sit very well with me which which potentially if not yeah it probably did spurred me on to train even harder try, and, and try to redeem myself i did i didn't know that when you and i guess it makes sense actually when you do an injury of that of that uh, gravity that you you do have to rethink really about how you walk and then how you you run and then when when you start playing football again, are you are you scared that right if I put a hard challenge in or something, it might go again? Is that do you have like a fear in the back of your mind, or were you just sort of like so headstrong that you were like, sorry, I'm just gonna go? So obviously when you start kicking and start playing again, then you do it very cautiously, and, and that's that's it's just the latter stages of your of your rehabilitation. Um, like I said, the, the, the initial stages, my leg was in spin, I was on a, a wheelchair and walking sticks. And then that's the initial stage, and the, la- the latter stages are then getting back to match fitness and, and, and putting extra stresses and strains onto your joints and what have you. And then when you get through that, then you should then be in a position, when you start engaging in, in full contact, you should be physically and mentally at a stage where you're ready to go go again at 100%. And I, and I was, and I've always been relatively cavalier uh, in my attitude anyway. <laughs> That makes sense because when I think back to you playing for Northampton, and we'll we'll come on to this now, I don't remember you as um you know someone who obviously was coming back from a serious injury. You you impacted on on the club really well, and it's you know, part of the reason why we're talking today. But how did the move to Northampton on loan come about? Um, do you remember? Yeah. Um. So at Norwich, there I. I... I signed with Martin O'Neill. Then another manager came in and left without me even playing or him seeing me. Then another, I think it was the third manager come in. Um, when he arrived, he just saw me on the medical ta- on the medical bench and, and probably very asked a question, "Who's he?" And somebody said, "Oh, he's been there for ages." So I was an unknown entity to him. Um, so I had to prove myself, and uh, if that meant going out on loan to somebody and and playing. Uh, first team football elsewhere in order to prove myself back with the manager back at home then so be it I, I think that's quite a brave move really because when you look at it and this this is almost going back to the role of the dice thing that you'd three maybe a year and a bit previously you'd been in the premier league and then yeah. you you were happy to accept a loan to we were in basically the basement division division four at northampton and you were yeah. like right i'm gonna do it just uh, to get back in the swing of things and you know all credit to you for doing that and you joined the Ian Atkins project which was actually quite exciting at the time you might have not have been that aware of what was going on at the time but Ian Atkins was bringing together a, 
aside worked really hard and um a lot of player a lot of it's quite a combative side but do you remember do you remember those days that short period at Northampton yeah um um Atkins was again he was a, a relatively nice person to talk to and he showed he showed uh showed me that by coming there doesn't matter what division you're in you come in there and playing football again and after all mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a football player who hasn't played football for over a year um, after after my injury, so he gave he gave me an opportunity to get out there and show and show the world again, or show the club or managers, whatever, that I can still play after after my injury. I think I was out play, out from playing for over a year, uh, which mm. is which is quite significant. And then you had the you had your new the new stadium, which was from from what I what I was used to is a little bit on the small side, but it was pristine and and ready to go. The environment mm. was good. Uh, so yeah, there's all these positive um, messages being uh, directed towards me by the manager and the club, and everyone was was on board. So yeah, it was a no-brainer really. I was a football player. I wanted to play football. <laughs> um, um, so that that's the way I, I approached it. You contributed. You played your part in the in the season that ended in Wembley glory for Northampton. Northampton won, won ended up winning, funnily enough, against Swansea at Wembley. Uh, at the end of that season, yeah. but you, the period you joined in, you made your debut for Northampton. I don't know if you remember this. This is the glamour of football. You'd gone from the Premier League to making your debut for Northampton a two-nil away win up Hartlepool. Do you remember that? <laughs> Probably not. What, what, can you remember what what month that was? Good was question. Winter. Yeah, it, it probably is winter because you you scored, I think in the next game, a uh, 2-1 win at Doncaster. So you hit the ground running, really, and that's quite literal because you were known for your marauding runs. So, yeah, it was winter, yeah, winter time. Yeah, I seem to remember the, the um, which which kind of knocked me sideways a little bit. The, the, the Going to the away the, the away game, the pitch was horrific. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I, was, I do remember thinking, what have I done? Yes, Northampton was a lovely little stadium, a lovely pitch, but but some of the away games, oh, that was a there's a reality check if nothing else. <laughs> and you'd uh, just come back from a really bad injury, so you didn't want some, with all due respect, lower league clogger like kicking you. In the- yeah, yeah, and and uh, some of the some of the guys in that division were a little bit slow on the tackles, and they kind of hit you around the knees and stuff. Although it was. Uh... You know, winter time, and the last thing you want to happen to your knee is to be kicked by some lower league clogger. And you know, with all due respect to lower league players, um, but you, you you really hit the ground running, and it really frames why we're talking today. Because I spoke to a couple of of guys and, and people, and I think what you brought to the side work rate, and you could carry the ball, and you were a skillful player, and you know, it was. You know, in terms of talent, quite a coup for Northampton to get a guy that had been at the Premier League only like a year or so before. You, do you remember that game on New Year's Day against Cardiff? We won four 0 and it was it had been snowing, and uh, they cleared the snow off the pitch. I don't know if you they remember that one. Yeah, they brushed the snow off. I do remember. Yeah, you're, yeah. You're, you're you're making me remember stuff, but I do remember clearing the pitch off of a game. Is the one of those reality <laughs> checks where where you're thinking, crap, what's happened? Here? <laughs> <laughs> but but at the same time, maybe good to be in a team where you were going to start a lot of the games, and you know a manager that believed in your in your ability. You scored in the next game v Chester. We beat them five one. You scored in that one. 
I think you scored three goal three goals in thirteen games, so not actually a bad little haul there. My pure focus was to get fit and put myself out there. Put my in, if 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 I wasn't going to be playing at Norwich, I needed to put myself out in in the window for other clubs to see. Not the in had already said to me that the monies that had been uh, banded around, they couldn't afford to buy me, um, but they were more yeah. very happy to have me there on loan. So I knew I was, and, and, and I think personally I don't think I was ready to go down to the to the fourth division on, on a permanent basis anyway even though I had a, a really good experience there so it really was a case of right game to game I need to play as hard as I can and, and get myself back into um, the kind of flight of football that I was comfortable in. That's an interesting answer actually I, I guess as football fans we always think that or hope that Play, all players have got a love for you know our club but it's just interesting to hear that you know you were looking to get back to you know playing at a high level and Northampton happened to be a club where you know you came in for a short period but you, you did well and I, I guess overall it's like a, a little happy little sort of a fairly happy period for you there and you got you got back on the pitch where that's where, where you where you're sort of best yeah and, and like, like I said um Atkins was, was a straight talk and he, he, he said to me early on that they weren't in a position to buy me um, because they mm. couldn't afford it um, and he said look you, I'm going to bring you here and it's an opportunity for you to showcase yourself and that's and that's what I tried to do. I think you did do that and yes yeah, and some really good performances and just even though it was a fairly a cameo you helped did your part to get us onto that Wembley uh, win and then we went we, we got to win the next season as well but you by that point you'd what what was going on by Norwich at that point because you'd got back on the pitch you'd done what you were supposed to be doing which was getting back in form and then you know you end up joining Oldham another geographically diverse move how did <laughs> what happened there I got my fitness uh, like I said I had, a, I had a really good spell an enjoyable spell at um, Northampton and played a couple of games back at Norwich but the manager at Norwich was—I um, don't think he had. I wasn't in his, his his plans for the future. So when the the chance to cut play in Oldham came up, yes, you said it's geographically diverse. But from um, my wife was uh, was from Tameside, which which is right. which is literally just around the corner from Oldham. Um, I when I went there uh, and went up to the the ground, which is the highest ground in England, I think. And bloody cold and bleak. And the area, the, the area isn't isn't uh, isn't the nicest place in the world. Uh, it it wasn't that difficult for me to choose to go up there because the, I already had a social circle up there, a family circle up there, um, and I knew the South Manchester, Cheshire um, borders quite well because of players living around there that I knew. Uh, so that, yes, even though you, you're going from from London to East Anglia and then up to up to up to the northeast, uh, northwest, sorry, that change wasn't that drastic for me because, like I said, there's all these supporting structures there already in place for me. How do how were you feeling physically at that point? Because you know when you did your cruciate the first time, you had some concerns about your prognosis and what was going to happen um you played 30 games for Oldham um but is that when you're did you do your cruciate ligament again or was that a separate one um uh, Oldham I did well the, the last 
injury at Oldham was my cruciate again. Yeah, it snapped. I'd had a couple of um, smaller injuries at Oldham um, um, as well leading up to it. That must have been a, a really difficult time because because you're such a good trainer and you put a lot into your rehab to, you know, for that to go again, that must have been like, you know, just quite a bad time as a footballer, really. Yeah. Um, so I think if I hadn't had my daughter at the time, I would have trained up again and then ploughed on, carried on regardless and tried to play football. Uh, but the surgeon who gave me, did my third ACL... <laughs> My, the, the second ACL I had, um, they, they couldn't remove the screws from the previous surgery um, and they had to abort halfway through. And then I had to go back in again for a revised um, ACL reconstruction. And the surgeon said, look, I know you, you can train and you're fit and all the rest of it. But the guy said, look, seriously, you, you're on nine or ten operations now. You continue the way you're just training and playing with regardless of a repeat injury then rising your mobility by the time you're, you're 40 and when a when a, a surgeon's telling you that you might be using a walking stick at 40 then you you reevaluate quickly with a child and stuff it's not just about it's about your career it's about your you know your, your future as a, as a father and everything else like that so you you took the decision to retire. Did you do you get any compensation for for having to retire, or is it just you're you're out? So I have three. There's a the club has an insurance policy. The the FA has an insurance policy, and you have your private um, at the time. So I had three insurance policies. Obviously, the biggest one is the private one, but the um, that was deemed null and void because when I changed clubs, the club um, changed insurance companies, and uh, neglected to tell me that my knee was exempt no that's uh well that must have been a bit of a bit of pill to swallow yeah so i mean obviously choosing to retire having this this cloud of potential compromise ability over my head uh supporting my family and all the rest of it and having some uh, potentially have a whole a career change if that wasn't enough um then to be told that your main insurance policy is not and void it was um an emotional time. I can imagine. Do you, do you, would you recommend any players that are playing now to check check the small print on everything? Oh, you, you, you don't know. Triple check. So you finish at twenty football at twenty eight. Ideally, as a footballer, you want to be going on, you know, till about thirty two, thirty four. So uh, relatively young. How quickly does your thoughts turn to what am I going to do now? What's my? What's I was twenty six when I retired. Oh, okay. Sorry. That's okay. Even younger. Um, even younger. I know. Sucks. Um, mm. And I think I officially uh, retired in the August, July, August, I think. And I was at un in university by September. So very quick, very quickly thinking, right, let's, let's have the next stage. Here. And you, you went into teaching, didn't you? You qualified as a teacher? Yeah. So it was five years of studying, three years on a science degree, one year um, PGCE, then another year getting your um, it, uh, your QTS, your qualified teacher status. It's, it was five years of studying. You became a teacher in an inner city area, didn't you? So was that a bit of a baptism of, baptism of fire going from a, a footballer, a Premier League footballer, footballer to a, an inner city teacher? So my first year, the, the, my um, it was a you have a training year to get your qualified your qualified teacher status, and that was in 
Wright Robinson Sports College in Gorton in Manchester, which at the time was one of the poorest wards in Europe. That was definitely a baptism of fire. If you can teach there, you can teach anywhere. Did your status as an ex-footballer give you any sort of kudos or was it not really? Not no, really ab- absolutely. The, 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 so one of the hardest things over the years I've seen is, is trying to gain the respect from the kids. And once you've got the respect from the kids, then you can start getting them engaged and imparting across information and knowledge to them. Um, but if you, have, if, you don't, if you don't have their respect, then, then teaching is almost nigh on impossible. Um, so one of the advantages I definitely had was once it got out, because I, I never um, tell, I, even to this day, I never tell people what my past careers, um, career was. But obviously the school um, blurt, blurt, blurt it out to someone and then the grapevine kind of goes around the school very, very, very quickly. And so without actually doing anything, I gained the respect of all the boys in the school, which made my job so much easier. At this point that your daughter actually started to show some real promise as a tennis player. and Kind of. I was a member at David Lloyd and she picked up a racket because we are at David Lloyd along with various other sports. I'm a, I'm, I'm a sporty guy, so my, my daughter was clearly going to be doing some kind of sport. And that's when it started, really. She w- w- was um, winning games left, right and centre. Um, mm. I was giving her uh, some physical coaching and taking her to the athletics track and doing some uh, foot drills with her and all kind of that kind of stuff. And at the age of 10 and a half, she won the nationals in England and then she turned around and said, Daddy, I want to be a tennis player. So I said, fine. I <laughs> uh, spoke to a tennis coach at the time. And he said, look, if she, wants to, um, be, if she wants to be successful at tennis, then she has to have the sun on her back. So I found one of the best academies at the time in the world was Sanchez Casal. So um, I moved to Barcelona with her so she can go full time at the, at the academy. As a father, that's a really selfless thing to do and um, to help your daughter with a, a sporting career like that and she 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 played at a junior Wimbledon I read and also didn't uh, and did she earn a scholarship to go to America or she went to America as well yeah she played junior Wimbledon three times she was the number one in England for six years and she was one of their bright hopes and then when she turned 16 she had the opportunity to go to America on a scholarship and I said, if you're going to go two years early, I'm coming with you. So she decided not to. Um, she, finished, <laughs> she finished all her education in England a year early, finished her A-levels when she was 17, and then took the scholarship to Florida State after she finished her A-levels. That's, that's really impressive. And you were saying that your, your mother wasn't particularly sporty. So there must be some sport in your genes going further back if you look at your family tree, because you, both yourself and your your daughter are really accomplished sports people. That must be a proud moment for you as a, as a father to see. Oh God, so yeah. Well. I mean, what, watching watching her develop was was insane. I mean, I was incredibly fortunate. So what the reason why I went into teaching in the first place was to spend time with my daughter. When I would do, when I decided to change career, it was like, do I go into the city? Do I go into sales? Do I go into banking or finance? And I didn't want to be taken away from my daughter because I I. I Personally, uh, I was brought up with a strong family um, ethos, uh, which was instilled in me by my mother. And I've had this this child, and I want to give her every conceivable ounce of my time that I can. So that's why I went into teaching in the first place, so that I'd take her to school, I'd holiday when she'd holiday, and we'd be together. And she'd have, um, and I didn't have a dad, maybe because I'd never had a dad growing up. I was raised by my mum. That may have played something um, subconsciously in my mind. I don't know. 
but the yeah so that's why we need to teach and to spend all this time with her so i was incredibly privileged to, to have the opportunity to do so at this point probably um should have a word about your wife as well who's an incredibly talented woman herself i'm read, reading about her her um you know experience in, in her life and her work that your wife caroline has got cb and the chief exec of chief exec of the british fashion council so you must have a quite a trendy household <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean um, the she, i mean this she worked herself up from nothing so when when we met i was 18 and she was a catwalk model when i met her um not a massive education behind her and she built her built built her company she had a company in manchester which then she moved head office to london and then from that took the um, ceo job at the british fashion council after that um so she's completely self-made subsequently like you said she's had a cbe an honorary doc doctorate and an honorary professorship um, from various universities which she deals with um uh, quite a lot so yeah very accomplished woman that, that must be another source of pride for you as well and I, I imagine your your household has got a strong work ethic as a as totality and I read as a as a young young guy I guess you you tried to get some memberships to some like private members clubs in London and sort of struggled and now your your door's been open to a lot of places around the world hasn't it yeah so it, it had been very enlightening in that even as a premiership football player there were certain doors that were closed to you not that you're mm. knocking knocking that hard but and maybe if I was a, a bigger profile player because I was far from a, a big profile but maybe the larger profile players have access but the um but there's a whole world out there which uh, which I've been um, able to observe from the outside I don't particularly want to be part of it but um but yeah it's a very close-knit um community and a members club all around really globally it's very difficult to get into you're only allowed in to be you're only invited in regardless of what mm. you've done and when, once you're in yeah well you can reap the rewards so uh, scoring a really good goal versus Ipswich doesn't get you in there mm. <laughs> no unfortunately <laughs> so that's brings us full circle to an extent into talking about your career and your family life and what what are you up to now and I know that you've taken some of your coaching qualifications so football still interests you so what are you up to now yeah no I did my um so I when 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 I came back from Barcelona I stopped working and um spent six years traveling the European and world circuit with my daughter and again incredibly privileged um in order to be able to do that and then she obviously went to university I had some time to kill I did my UA for B I'd already done my UA for C anyway but I did my UA for B as a as a, a backup as it were because um, I was toying around with the idea of going over to coach collegiate football in America after going over there with my daughter and seeing the setup there that it, it's professional beyond I mean you, you compare it to a premiership football club or for instance my daughter played at the trained at the LTA's England uh, camp in Roehampton and these universities can match them in terms of their support and coaching so I was I, I did entertain that idea but I applied to a couple of universities over there and I think they, they prefer American 
coaches. I'm not entirely sure. I didn't hear, hear back from a couple, but now I'm, I went back to teach again here. So I'm um, a PE teacher again in London. That f- first experience of being thrown in the deep end as a teacher obviously didn't put you off. And uh, is is football something that you'd like to get back involved with if you if an opportunity came up? Is it still something you would like to do, coaching or whatever? Not entirely. Um, I went to, bizarrely. I went, didn't actually uh, speak to Brentford um, and, the, and Fulham, and the hours that that's required of you is mm-hmm. is a lot and. If you, I, don't, I think if you're not prepared to hand over your life to the club, then mm-hmm. then don't bother kind of signing up. They do they do get their pound of flesh off you. Uh, after I retired, my life went in a completely different direction to football. Um, I had nothing to do with football, to be honest with you. Uh, shortly after retiring, like like I said, straight into university, got a child, straight into teaching, um, and then touring around the world for seven years. So football hadn't entered my sphere uh, in, in any way, shape or form for a long period of time. And I mentally wasn't pre- prepared to hand over my life to a club um, uh, to be a coach. Do you watch football on TV and stuff? Are you a football fan or I've never are you watched, more interested in other things? I've never watched football um, at any point of my life. Really? You wouldn't <laughs> go home and just put a game on? So, so um, the first game of football I, I saw was when my when the scout took me to a game at West Ham. That was the first game of football I've actually seen. Um, so really? was, you don't I even was, watch the World Cup? No, I was eleven. I was eleven or twelve when I first. Like, like I said, there was no sport in the house. My mother had no interest whatsoever. Um, so, yeah. so that was my first um, first time I watched the match. And since I've retired which is what, 22 years ago or so, I've seen one game of football and that was Man United versus Barcelona because I was living in Barcelona and uh, some mates of mine who played for United knew, knew that I was in Barcelona and asked me if I wanted to come and watch. So I took my daughter to watch. She didn't enjoy it and I didn't have to repeat, the, repeat it ever again. <laughs> So, no, so not, yeah, we I'm always not. think of footballers as, as these people that are like obsessed with the sport and they're like sitting there in their shorts at home watching the games and stuff. But you're just like, oh, I can, I can take or leave it, really. That's quite interesting, quite refreshing, actually. <laughs> I think the, the stereotype stands stands firm for 99.9% of football players and the general public at large. Most people do enjoy, especially it's our national sport, most people will in, enjoy sitting at home regardless of, of the standing, be it, be it uh, players, current players, ex-players or just Joe Public and watch a game of football. Um, but it's nothing that's really embedded itself in me. Would you would you watch a game of tennis though? Because you, you know, you've probably got quite a lot of knowledge about tennis now. Yeah, so obviously watching my daughter train at the, at the England camp and travel around the world, I've watched an awful lot of tennis and my knowledge of tennis is very good. Um, and I even did a few coaching badges in tennis just to, so I could grasp a better idea of it. Um, so I'd be probably more incl- inclined to watch Wimbledon than I... In fact, I am a lot more inclined to watch Wimbledon because I don't watch the World Cup or the European Cup or any other football match. She used to train with... Heather Watson, and uh, who was the number one at England at the time, and mm. Joe Conter, who's the current number one in England. She trained with her, hit with her. But internationally, I couldn't tell you because, like I said, I, I'm, I don't watch um, much tennis anymore. It was That was uh, my life from when she was five to 17. 
so 12 years of my life and then and then when she stopped playing I lost uh, interest again uh, would she would she beat you in a game of tennis I bet she'd beat your hands down would you? <laughs> using a <laughs> using a left hand whilst carrying a cocktail and smoking a cigar <laughs> that, that's that's the way to do it we yeah. should wrap up now because we've been talking a fair while but and um, i just I, I say this to most you know all the players that i talk to but i just like to like thank you for putting a shift in for the club albeit in a in, in a short period and you you contributed to a, a really nice time and I, i'm glad considering some of the ups and downs you had in your career that you can actually look back in your cameo at northampton with some you know pride and you know good times Oh God! Like I like I said earlier, not one to reiterate too much, but it was purely a positive experience. So there there are no negative memories, even though an aging man as myself has memories. But yeah, it was all positive. It was a great experience. I guess sometimes, like you said, when you think of certain memories, it unlocks other memories. Exactly. And... So you talking yeah. triggers certain memories which I've ever thought about for the last like two decades. But 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 when you say stuff, it. it yeah, it brushes off the dust and cobwebs and they come to light again. It's also nice that the West Ham fans I speak speak to always speak so sort of um, well about you and that um, they, they, just, they just wish that it, things had turned out better for you at West Ham because they said when you, you hit that scene, there was a lot of buzz about you and they everyone was really sort of rooting for you and things don't always go go perfectly in football, but you, there's a lot of fondness for you at West Ham too, so that's, that must be nice as well. Yeah, uh, I mean, even well, I, my pro career was eight years and people must, the first thing people say to me is, oh, you must be gutted. And I said, how can I be gutted? I played football for eight years at a pro level and, mm. and, and the entire, nearly every boy in this country would love to do it for eight days, let alone eight years. So how can I possibly have anything negative drawn up from it? Yeah, my, every, every, aspect, every aspect of my football career was, was uh, was a positive one really um and even when i retired it opened up completely new avenues which i would never have explored and then they they in themselves bloomed and gave me another positive experience you're a self-deprecating sort of guy and you, you're you're modest you don't really like talking about football too much but i reckon you one night you should just whack on your goals you score for west ham in your career and at least you can you can watch that goal versus ipswich and he scored with Tottenham and some other good clubs, and just say you you did it, you know, you did it, and you should be proud of yourself. Oh, absolutely! Like like I said like before, it was mm. it was everything um, was a completely positive experience, and, and now I don't need to because there's always a student that's going to run up to me and say, "Sir, sir, sir, have you seen this? Have you seen this?" And then they'll show, <laughs> and then they'll, and then they'll show me. <laughs> no, that's that's nice, and um, it. it it was quite a long time ago, but at the same time, I can remember a lot of <clears throat> memories from that time with fondness. And that, that's what life's about, isn't it? Looking back with fondness. That in 1997, I, w- I went to that pretty much every game that that season and you contributed really well to that season. So thanks a lot. And let's talk Let's talk again sometime, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. No, it's been good fun, actually. Yeah. Look back at those memories with, um, with fondness and we'll speak soon, mate. Take care. Cheers. See you. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.